Our scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the times of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who, was, who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he went to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another word. This is the word of the Lord. I told the early service, I had a ninth grade honors algebra teacher who was uh, very quiet, white-headed, demure. We had to write every step of a problem out. And the way she held our attention was to talk in a whisper. So we all leaned forward in our seats. I am battling a cold today. I have two cups of hot tea up here, but you will help me out if you will lean forward in your seats. This is not a Bible-thumping sermon, thankfully, because I'll probably be a little bit quieter than normal. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of St. Matthew, the words of W.H. Auden, and the words I offer in their wake give you glory today and draw you a bit nearer to our lives and in our world. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Nearly every year during Advent or Christmas, I pull down from my shelf a yellowed 1970s copy of W.H. Auden's For the Time Being. It is a long narrative poem that the British-American wrote during the height of World War II and that he labels a Christmas oratorio. I saw a dramatic reading of it in seminary and have been drawn back to it ever since. Like any good literature, the language is at times difficult to follow. Many of the scenes are heavy with angst and anxiety, but the reading is nearly always redemptive and hopeful. This year, as I knew I would be preaching on the wise men or the magi, I was drawn to give attention not to the familiar three kings who make the story so colorful and appealing, but rather 
to Herod the king, who was frightened when he heard from the Magi that they had followed a star to his city of Jerusalem because a child who had been born there was king of the Jews and because they wanted to worship him, to pay him homage. Now it is understandable that no ruler whose job description includes being king of the Jews wants to entertain the possibility that a child born on real estate within his royal territory can rightly make the same claim. So predictably, Herod's reaction to the Magi is immediate and intense. He tries to trick them into telling him the exact location of the child so that he may pay the child homage as well. But the worship life of King Herod involves anything other than paying homage to this child. For Herod's real intention is to determine the child's location so that he can take steps necessary to eliminate the child. Thus, when the Magi fail to return and share the child's location with Herod, he orders the death of all the children in and around Bethlehem two years old or under. In giving this deadly command, Herod follows in the footsteps of his ancestor Pharaoh, who had sought to eliminate Moses by ordering all male children thrown into the Nile. And Herod foreshadows all those rulers down to the present day who allow children to be displaced by war, ethnic cleansing, political conflict, who allow children to be sold into slavery or prostitution, who allow children to face disease, starvation, execution in service to the ruler's goals. We have seen such Herods in our day and time. We know they continue to rule. In many ways, Herod the Great need not have felt much threat from the birth of a child among a minority community within his kingdom. According to the historian Josephus, by the time the Magi arrived, Herod had governed effectively for over three decades. Installed by the Romans, Herod knew the importance of having good relationships with the Jews within his kingdom. He granted them a measure of religious freedom, and he renovated their temple following its, de its desecration several decades earlier. Herod also strengthened the more Roman or Hellenistic aspects of the kingdom, founding cities and building stadiums, gymnasiums, theaters, roads, walls, temples, halls, porticos, marketplaces, aqueducts, fountains, colonnades, all in the grandly severe Roman style. While Herod's rule was not without the kind of brutality common among leaders of his day, including killing members of his own family who might make a claim on his throne, Herod's reign was effective. He earned the title of Herod the Great through both his numerous accomplishments and his ruthless use of power. Let's turn now and see how W.H. Auden presents Herod to us, specifically at the time of the wise men's visit. Auden introduces us to Herod 
by depicting the king ruminating on the good fortune that has led to his successful life. A rumination into which many of us at Westminster or Alexandria or Arlington could enter. To fortune, that I have become tetrarch, that I have escaped assassination, that at 60 my head is clear and my digestion is sound, even if my voice is not. To my father for the means to gratify my love of travel and study. To my mother for a straight nose. To Eva, my nurse, for my regular habits. To my brother Sandy, who married a trapeze artist and died of drink, for so refuting the position of the hedonists. To Professor Lighthouse for his lectures on the Peloponnesian War. And to my secretary, Miss Button, for admitting that my speeches were inaudible. Herod then shows, Auden, excuse me, then shows how Herod used these privileges that he inherited genuinely for the public good. There is no visible disorder, Herod says, no crime. Barges are unloading soil fertilizer at the river wharves. Soft drinks and sandwiches may be had in the inns at reasonable prices. Allotment gardening has become popular. The truck drivers no longer carry guns. It's been a long time since anyone stole the park benches or murdered the swans. There are children in the province who have never seen a louse, shopkeepers who have never handled a counterfeit coin, women of 40 who have never hidden in a ditch except for fun. Yet, Herod says, yes, Herod says, in 20 years, I've managed to do a little. Darkness has been pushed back a few inches. Yet Herod's sense of progress and control does not lead him to complacency. He remains on guard against forces that he considers to be superstitious and therefore disruptive of his society and his rule. He brags, inside this little civilized patch, it's all, it has been made unnecessary for anyone over the age of 12 to believe in fairies or angels or witches or warlocks or goblins or God. Yet Herod senses that superstition might once again be creeping into his kingdom. He mocks the prayers he imagines his subjects are lifting up to God. Leave thy heavens, O God, and come down to our earth, they pray. Become our uncle. Look after baby. Amuse grandfather. Escort madam to the opera. Help Willie with his homework. And introduce Muriel to a handsome naval officer. When the Magi show up at Herod's door and he notices an ecstatic grin on their scholarly faces, he knows that the forces of superstition are not 
far behind. Why couldn't this wretched infant be born somewhere else, he says. Why couldn't people be sensible? Why can't they see that the notion of a finite God is absurd? Herod then exercises executive privilege with decisiveness and dispatch. He orders the massacre of the innocents. Civilization must be saved, he says, even if it means sending in the military. As we know from Matthew and from subsequent history, the slaughter of the innocents brings tears to parents' ancestral and contemporary. A voice was heard in Ramah, says Matthew, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be consoled because they are no more. But Joseph and Mary are spared at least the imminent death of their child. For they've been warned in a dream to flee to Egypt, which they do. And then once Herod has died, which happens soon thereafter, they are told in another dream to return home to Israel, which they do. As intensely as Herod tries, as powerful and effective as he is, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ, is one light that Herod cannot extinguish, one star that he cannot prevent from shining and attracting followers. Herod's words and actions are cruel, they are destructive, they are deadly, they are brutal, but they are not final. An angel of the Lord says to Joseph, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. The power of Herod the Great proves not to be ultimate. As the narrative draws to a close and Auden switches from poetry to prose, he speaks of the limited and provisional nature of all earthly kingdoms. Powers and times are not gods, he writes, for all societies and all epochs are transient details. But such belief does not lead Auden to withdraw from the transient details of societies and epochs. Auden does not advocate that we withdraw into a private spiritual cocoon that is removed from the affairs of the world. He writes that while powers and times are not gods, they are mortal gifts from God. And as such, they transmit an everlasting opportunity that the kingdom of heaven may come, not in our present, not even in our future, but in the fullness of time, 
Through the birth of the Messiah, Auden calls us to live for the time being within our earthly kingdoms. In a famous conclusion to his work, Auden brings us back into the present. Well, so that is that, he says. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes, carrying them up to the attic. I did this yesterday. For the time being, here we all are, back in the moderate Aristotelian city of Darning in the 815, where Euclid's geometry and Newton's physics would account for our experience and where the kitchen table exists because I scrub it. There are bills to be paid, machines to be kept in repair, irregular verbs to learn, the time being to redeem from insignificance. In the time being in which we live, the Herods of the world often rule. They often rule powerfully, destructively, with force and brutality that causes our hearts to shrink and our faith to shatter. But they do not ultimately prevail. Auden calls us to believe in the child whose birth drew the Magi to Jerusalem. He calls us to cast our lots with this king, this rule, this reign. Of this child, Auden writes, He is the way. Follow him through the land of unlikeness and you will see rare beasts and you will experience grand adventures. He is the truth. Seek him in the kingdom of anxiety and you will come to a great city that has, res that has expected your return for years. He is the life. Love him in the world of the flesh. And at your marriage, all its occasions will dance for joy. My friends, the child Herod could not snuff, the child Herod could not stuff out, snuff out, continues to live. This child continues to lead us to put up and to take down our Christmas decorations. This child continues to lead us to scrub the kitchen table and learn irregular verbs. He continues to bring us together to this place of worship, to Westminster, Sunday after Sunday, weekday after weekday. This holy child continues to instill within us hope, sometimes fainting and fragile, sometimes overwhelming, sometimes even hope against hope, but still hope. It is not Herod who lives. 
The child who lives is the one over whose birth the star settles. The one whose birth draws magi from their precincts of learning and shepherds from their fields of labor. Rulers, cruel and humane, come and go. Societies and epochs are transient details. It is Christ who lives, not the Herods of the world. Not even the Herods of the world thought by themselves and thought by others to be great. Amen.